You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Take a glass together And we will lift it To the good life And as we're lifting it We will most sincerely say We'll take a glass together This is Equity One, Broadway's happy hour Pour yourself a drink and join us as we chat about life, theater, and everything in between I'm Elliot Maddox And I'm Caleb Dickey Join us for your Equity One. Hi. Cheers. 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 Hi. Welcome to this week's episode of Equity One. Thank you for having me. We have our special guest. Tom Sesma is here. On his, um, is that, now you have a show tonight? Yes. Okay. At Barrow Street Theater. And their amazing revival of Sweeney Todd. So, so good. Thank you. <laughs> you guys just celebrated uh, Landmark. Yeah, 500 shows, right? Yeah, uh, Sunday, last Sunday evening, um, April 29th, 500 shows. And in June, I don't remember what date it will be, um, we will become the longest running New York production of Sweeney Todd ever. Wow. Really? Yeah. Now, mind you, more people saw Sweeney Todd in one performance in the original production when it was at the Gershwin. <laughs> <laughs> but we're we're running longer. Yeah. That is amazing. That is that's actually kind of shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? that prior runs of Sweeney Todd haven't lasted as long. But well, you know, the, the 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 first production lasted. I think it was over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Five hundred and something performances, but it. Uh, you know, it had a hard time selling tickets. Oh, sure. It, it was pretty di- dark. It didn't yeah. get great reviews. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, I think it lost its entire investment. Wow. Jeez, yeah. Even though it ran that long. But it does have that recording of it, though, doesn't it? Isn't there a... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it is definitely, like... Um, it's definitely... We're documented. Documented. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and it's so... In- it's really interesting to, um, to think about. We were actually talking with... Um, John Cariani recently about kind of like what even these shows that like don't even win best musical or aren't even received well you know go on to become the the American classic you know long after their their initial like first experience right well it's particularly true with with uh Sondheim's work when you Mm -hmm. look at the the 
kind of mixed reviews the canon of his work has gotten mm -hmm. I wonder how you know if, if those critics are still living how uh, people that panned uh, company and little night music yeah, for really. being too cold or or, or um, Sweeney Todd for being too grotesque mm -hmm. you know what what are they saying now exactly wherever yeah. they are uh -huh. In whatever hell they're in. <laughs> yeah, they got no place here. <laughs> they are not welcome in the equity no, podcast. No, they are not. <laughs> oh, well, we are sitting here in my apartment on this beautiful, beautiful summer day. And seems uh, like summer it seems is like supposedly here to stay. This, oh. was, this was the most brutal winter ever. So, oh, you know, it was just it was just endless. Endless. Yeah. Endless, and it there were a lot of like seeming lights at the end of the tunnel and then and then we would get snow mm -hmm. right yeah. so i'm still expecting snow yeah, yeah. before, yeah, yeah, before yeah. june 1st of course but uh three days ago people were wearing scarves and gloves yes Remember? because it, it was, was cold that last day mm -hmm. it was cold yeah so hopefully this uh this nice 80 degree weather and beautiful sunshine sticks around but i might put in my air conditioner in this weekend maybe this... i'm putting mine in this weekend yeah and you yeah. said you're getting your ceiling fan. I am. I'm getting a ceiling fan installed tomorrow, and I'm really excited. Oh my god! I turned all my ceiling fans on yesterday. My wife came home after I, I forgot to turn them off when I went to the theater last uh -huh. night, and she came home from her show, and uh, I came home and she had this very friendly look on her face, which meant I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know how the ceiling fans were on high? They Sorry. weren't on high, they were on medium. But that really wasn't the point. Sorry. <laughs> I like the air circulation that brings energy into the room. I am, yeah. so, I am so excited because my apartment gets very hot in the winter. And I always have to have my windows open in winter. So hopefully a ceiling yeah. fan yeah. will help a little bit. It must be these, because you live in the same area as me. I live a block away from you. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, these buildings can, I think they just... Old heat works very well. Yeah, yeah. It, it always surprises me how much how much heat a building retains uh -huh. in the in the summer, particularly. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, I, I, I'm I'm hearing uh, sort of mythic stories about how warm it gets backstage at the Barrow Street Theater. Oh no! I, I and I'm terrified. I'm just absolutely terrified. <laughs> I and uh, I'm sure like. Because is there a kitchen back there as well? I'm sure that doesn't help. No, no, there is no kitchen. Okay, so oh, yeah, where's the food come from? The the, the pies are, are are created off site. Okay, uh, I don't know where Bill's um, Bill's uh, bakery is. Bill Yosis, the uh, baker who has come up with these amazing pies mm -hmm. uh, at the Barrow Street Theater, used to be the pastry chef for the Obama White House. Wow. As a matter of fact, his cookbook is currently nominated for the James Beard Award for Best Cookbook of Last Year. Oh, amazing. Um, and they're pretty incredible, but they're, uh, they're brought in um, about an hour before the, uh, before the theater opens, mm -hmm. and uh, they're brought in these really nice, convenient little warming cases. Mm -hmm. But they're basically fresh out of the oven from the time they're uh, loaded onto the yeah. van. Um, and they're served by the most amazing. I have to. I have to uh, give some kudos to the uh, front of house staff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at the Barrow Street Theater. They're just amazing, kind, generous people. Um, so excited to work there. As a matter of fact, when I um, um, when I saw the show um, in July, uh, I was asked to audition for it, and I, I asked if I could see it, and. Uh, 
And they said no, so I had to buy a ticket. <laughs> I don't even know why I brought that up. But you never know. Uh, you never know. <laughs> but one of the things, no. one of the things that I was so taken with from the moment I walked into the lobby at the Barrow Street was how efficient, how friendly, how welcoming mm-hmm. uh, the front of house staff is. Um, you know, and and like most people uh, who who are working like that in the theater, you know, a lot of them are actors, mm-hmm. or a lot of them come from artistic backgrounds. Yeah. And I think they have a sense that they know what the audience wants. Yeah. They know, so they anticipate how to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have to remember that there are a certain number of limitations that the audience experiences yeah. there. Like, you cannot get up and go to the bathroom and then come back in in the middle of Act One. Yeah. Um, for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, you're going to miss something really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. And number two, um, it's a little scary. It's a little dangerous because people are moving all around that room. Yeah, all um, around the room. And some of us are moving around with sharp objects in our hands. Uh-huh. <laughs> Running around <laughs> so, on top of tables. Yeah. <laughs> so in addition to being very good at their at, at their job, they're very, um, they're very polite. They're very kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to give them a shout-out. Oh, yeah. And they're definitely... I mean, the, that's definitely a big part of the whole experience of your particular particular uh, production of Sweeney because, you know, everyone around is a part of the action. I mean, from the front of house staff to... I mean, the, the show starts even, you know, where <laughs> the actors come out into the lobby to tell us that Act Two's beginning. You right, know what I mean? Right. So there's no space unused uh-huh. in, the, yeah. in the... I actually have a really interesting story. story about that because the original production at Harrington's mm-hmm. uh, and Pie and Mash Shop in Tooting, um, and for those of you who don't know uh, where Tooting is, it's a, it's a district um, in London mm-hmm. that's kind of like the East Village was in the 1980s. Oh. Um, when they say site-specific, they're not talking about the pie shop. They're talking about the neighborhood. Okay, amazing. It's, you don't want to walk down the street alone, now, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, the Harrington's fit, I believe, only 35 people, 35 wow. seats. And it was a, it was a pie shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, again, there's no box office. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's no lobby. Yeah. <laughs> there's a pub across the street. And that's where patrons would buy their tickets. And that's where they would hang out during intermission. Cool. So, in our production, when Toby goes out to the lobby to, be, to bring people back in mm-hmm. to the theater, at Harrington's, Toby would cross the street. In the rain. Act two would begin, right, mm-hmm. in the pub across the street. And everyone would traipse back across the street and go into Harrington's for the second act. Oh, that's that's cool. really cool. Yeah. Is the pub open to like public too? So there's just like random people have. Over yeah. There. What about a crowd? Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A good way to second act a show. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Just. Maybe, yeah. But, but I think it was only... pretty hard because they were selling out. I was going to say only thirty five seats. Right. They sold yeah. out for a long, long time. Then it moved. And then the show moved to the West End, and they they uh, they found a restaurant space between two West End theaters, uh, and they recreated Harrington's, mm-hmm. um, which I think at that time had twice as many seats, sixty five or seventy. And then when the American producers brought it here, they turned the Barrow Street Theater, which is such a fantastic off-Broadway theater, into the pie shop. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of cool because I did a play there years ago. I think it was in the 90s. Uh, and when I walked in to start rehearsal at Barrow Street, um, I sat in the theater. I sat in a pie shop. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm going to be doing a play in a pie shop. And it wasn't until I needed to go to the restroom downstairs that I was taking the stairs backstage mm-hmm. down the stairs that I realized I had worked in this theater before. Oh, crazy. It's that oh, wow. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's, it's a little surreal. Uh, or it was a little surreal. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's really wonderful. I, I'm so thrilled to be a part of that production. I'm so excited and so proud of it. It's really, um, you know, it's, it's stretched me as an actor. It's given me so much as a person. And uh, I am working with the best people in the world. Oh, yeah. The cast is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's really really fantastic. And the first time I had seen it actually was was your um, dress rehearsal. Your dress rehearsal. I know it was so funny <laughs> because I looked out. I looked out. There was a little bit of uh, audience interaction uh, in a particular seat. Um, that that I'd say ninety nine percent of the time it happens uh, with the person in that particular seat. Occasionally it doesn't. Um, and I looked out there and oh my god, it was Elliot. It was me. It was someone else. <laughs> yeah. But that it's a it's an amazing amazing cast and really exciting too to like see something especially off Broadway transferred from you know something that um, something like that to have such like a long life after mm-hmm. you know its original cast you know like you're saying it's going to become the longest running Sweeney Todd in history in yeah. history right right well not, I'm not sure in history but certainly in, in New York in, in New, New York, York. Yeah. yeah in New York theatrical history. yeah. Um, yeah, and I have to say also that it's a very, very different show. And I'm not just talking about scale, but just in terms of the vibe itself. It's mm-hmm. a very different show from mm-hmm. the original production. It's about, it's about many different things. Uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that now we're in, um, oh my God, what year is it? 2018. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the original show was 1978. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Times is Hard has a completely different resonance now than yeah. Oh, yeah. back then. Um, and... It's because of the scale of the show, I think it has an, a, diff, a different emotional weight mm-hmm. also um, that has more to do with the proximity of the audience mm-hmm. to the action. Um, I mean, you're watching a show that is, that's about grief and rage and revenge mm-hmm. and love, mm-hmm. and you're seeing it in a completely different perspective because someone is three feet away from you yeah you know um it's uh it's very exciting to do that way from the actor's mm-hmm. point of view as well not that we're not that i think any actor is self-consciously trying to communicate an idea to an audience member but just because um i, I guess an analogy would be the walls seem closer in mm-hmm. and that you're more in touch to some degree with Feelings that have to become more true for you in order for you to express them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and I think it's also, I think Sweeney's an interesting kind of like morality tale right now. You know, we all, because, you know, at the very end, it's like, you know, every, every man is Sweeney, right? We all have these like revenge feelings. Sometimes we act on them in different, different degrees, different right. scales, obviously, but, you know, and I think that in a time when people like do have a lot of like anger, Right and very like specific directed anger. Yeah, that it's an interesting thing to have someone that has been walking among you for a second to point at you and say, "Sweeney's beside you." You know what I right, mean? It's right. it's mm-hmm. uh, it it's a different kind of uh, it's an exciting way to look at that in this in this uh, 
time. I think it's yeah, kind of it's resonant. exciting. It's a little bit disturbing. I, yeah. I talk about this a lot with people, or I have talked. I've been engaged in conversations where this has come up a lot, where um, maybe for the first time in human history, uh, at least in in modern history, revenge is looked at as a virtue. Yeah, almost mm-hmm. as opposed to deep, deep flaw mm-hmm. of character. And um, so in a way, it makes Sweeney more of a cautionary tale than it ever was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that, that if that's a moral lesson of this production, mm-hmm. or if that's a moral lesson of the show, um, I'm really grateful to be a part of it, to be able to, you know, in my own crazy way, impart mm-hmm. that message. Yeah. So as a kid, did you, like ever dream of playing Sweeney? Like, where did you start, like... Did you ever, as a, like, young Tom, did you ever think that you would be playing Sweeney I was never young, Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) Never? I don't believe it for a second. (laughs) No. um, You know, I saw the original production. I saw the national tour Mm -hmm. uh, with George and Angela Lansbury, and that was the the version that was taped, that was recorded Mm -hmm. for... I said taped. I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> that was the version that was recorded that we can all see on, yes. yeah. on YouTube and everything like that. Um, I saw it at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, and I remember being blown away. Um, and it was only, I think it had only been the year before that I felt called to become an actor, mm-hmm. that... that um, that I felt the calling because mm-hmm. nobody was calling me. I, was, <laughs> I, felt, I felt the calling inside. Yeah. What age was that? What age was that? I was when you uh, were feeling that this is what you needed to do. Twenty-two, twenty-three, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I was older than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I was older than a lot of uh, people who became my peers mm-hmm. later on, um, which is another interesting story. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I never thought in terms of there are great roles that I would like to play, at least back then, because um, I thought those things were were laid out and reserved for very, very... I didn't know what I thought. I thought that maybe I could be in the chorus of a show. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could be a spear carrier in a, in a classic <laughs> play. And maybe that would be enough. And in a weird way, that's when I started working in the business, that's really all I wanted to be. I wanted mm-hmm. to be a worker among workers. But, you know, I was, I was a little, uh, I, I was naive. I was very, very naive uh, to, uh, for many, many years at the beginning of my career. I didn't really know what I wanted. Did I think that I could play Sweeney Todd? I don't know that it ever occurred to me. Um, and, I, I, and I still don't quite understand how the opportunities arose where someone said, uh, let's bring Tom Sussman in for this audition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad they did. Mm-hmm. I did the show 1997, I think. And I was, I had just gotten back from the road. I was, I was playing the, enge- I had played the engineer in Saigon for two years. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty cocky and wild and, and full of myself. And, uh, <laughs> and I think I was pretty good, too. I was going to say, as one probably would be after yeah. playing the engineer. You know, I, 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 at least, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I had worked with Richard Maltby uh, several times, a couple times before then, and, and we had sort of become friends, and he came to a run-through uh, of Miss Saigon just before he we went on the road, and he pulled me aside, and he said, I just want you to know, this is going to change you. Uh, doing this role is going to, I want to warn you, 
in a very friendly way. This is going to change you as a person as a, and as an actor. Um, he said, I don't know if that's good or bad, but you need to be aware of it. Um, and it did. Uh, it changed me in lots of good ways. It changed me in lots of really, really bad ways. <laughs> hmm. And I think that continued when I did Sweeney, too. Um, uh, I was... I was pretty uh, unselfconscious in my wildness and in my impression of myself back then. Um, I think the work was good, but I think it was about something other than really digging to the core of a character like Sweeney. Mm -hmm. Because maybe I didn't know enough about life, maybe I didn't know enough about myself, maybe I didn't know enough about loss and genuine uh, grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the need for revenge. Mm -hmm. um, like most actors, I knew what envy was. Sure. <laughs> but um, l looking back at it in, 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 and trying to be dispassionate about it, I think it was probably a pretty acty performance. Uh huh. Acty. And I hope it's different now. I hope I hope it's more honest. I hope it's I hope it's uh, you know, uh, uh, how many years is that? I'm so bad. Twenty years later. Something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels truer. Mm-hmm. It's always hard for us to gauge our own. Yeah, 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 yeah. If the, I think the minute you try to start gauging it too, you're yeah. just not fully better. Better to not think it's about it. Yeah. Uh -huh. But yeah. one thing I do know is that Sweeney Todd is like the leer of musical theater for, totally. for men. You know that yeah. when you're young enough to do it, when you have the stamina to do it, mm -hmm. you simply don't have the emotional or spiritual gravitas mm -hmm. in your makeup. And when you do, you just don't want to work that hard. <laughs> <laughs> When you do, you're tired. Yeah, you're tired. I'm going to let somebody else jump on that table tonight. Well, Mrs. Lovett, can't we get a meat grinder that we plug in? Something. <laughs> put, on a, put on a DVD. Three times. Three times. <laughs> Set it for three times. Um, so you said you, you kind of felt the calling into theater when you were a little bit older were you, were you interested in theater when you were younger? Or? Yeah, yeah. I did plays all the time in high school. As a matter of fact, you will appreciate this. I think you okay. know this story about how I met Wayne. Oh, no. I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, our that. listeners might not. Yeah. Wayne Bryan. A former guest on the podcast. Mm -hmm. A former guest on the podcast. Uh, the executive artistic producer, whatever his brilliant uh -huh. title is, yeah. Music Theater of Wichita, demonstrably changed my life twice. Really? He, uh, yeah, he... he um, I was a junior in high school. I did plays in high school. I did mm -hmm. musicals in high school. I had to work through the music department because the uh, <clears throat> the drum the, the the head of the drama department just for whatever reason didn't like me. Probably because mm -hmm. I was like hyperactive and you know <laughs> didn't I, I couldn't focus on anything. Um, but the head of the music department, um, Father Nick Friend, um, and the music department is the the department that put on the musicals. Mm -hmm. um, asked me if I would do something in my junior year, then my senior year, and senior year we were doing a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yes! Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this old Sweeney back then was cast in the role of Snoopy. Okay. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Go figure. <laughs> well, there, there was a naval officer who lived in uh -huh. San Diego, who yes. was stationed in San Diego, uh, who was also a cabaret star. Yes. Mm -hmm. His name was Wayne Bryan. <laughs> he actually went by Wayne B. Smith back then. Oh, hot take, exclusive. Mm -hmm. And um, and Father Nick was uh, a big fan of his. 
And I think Wayne talked about it on the podcast that he was on, that the finale of his cabaret act was Supper Time from Your Good Man Charlie Brown, which always brought the house down. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. So um, Nick couldn't get... He was directing Your Good Man Charlie Brown, and he just couldn't get it right. It was just too precious. It was mm-hmm. just too. It was too much like children's theater. Mm-hmm. He couldn't. He couldn't make it real. Um, and so he asked um, Wayne if he'd be interested in just watching a couple rehearsals and maybe giving us some coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and Wayne, as Wayne does, showed up, watched it. You know, he 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 brought a kind of love into the room mm-hmm. yeah. that none of us ever knew existed before. And Nick stepped aside, and next thing I knew, Wayne is directing the show, and he's directing me as, as, uh, <laughs> as uh, Snoopy. And I, I remember that production very, very fondly. Um, jump cut to years later, I moved to New York, I think I had been there for like six months, maybe a year. The last time I saw Wayne was Probably when that production of Your Good Men Charlie Brown closed. I'm walking up 8th Avenue. I'm, I walk past the apartment building, 888 mm-hmm. 8th Avenue. I'm about half a block up, and I hear, Tom, Tom Sesma. And I turn around, and Wayne B. Smith mm-hmm. <laughs> is shouting at me. And uh, we have a reunion. I literally haven't seen him for, it must have been eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Remembered who I was. Remembered my name. Remembered everything we did. Um, And um, we stayed in touch. Mm -hmm. A few years later, he became artistic director of um, Music Theater of Wichita. I think he'd been there for like three or four years. And he asked me to go out and do Paint Your Wagon. Mm -hmm. This is in the 90s. And uh, I did it in the following year. He asked me to go out and do something else. Uh, So the first time he changed my life was during... um, you're good, man, Charlie Brown. Because he made me realize that what we do is is very, very special. That 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 what we do is not as actors, as performers, is not just fun. Mm-hmm. It's not just exciting. It's not just about. Uh, it's about telling a story. It's about expressing your own love for and more importantly expressing your own love for what you do through the story mm-hmm. so the audience just isn't watching a story being well told or poorly told the audience is watching this is a this is a very very sophisticated uh, concept too because it's also something that was developed by this great french theatrical theorist named jean berry who calls it the game when a performance is good, the audience isn't just watching a character, and they're not just watching a performer. They're watching a performer express himself solely through character, but they're aware that what they're actually watching is the love the performer has, not just for the character and the play, but for this moment in time through his work or her work. That's what Wayne taught me. I never in a million years dreamed that I become, could become an actor at mm-hmm. that point, but mm-hmm. I knew that I had learned something new about what we do, and that essential thing hasn't changed. 
it's inexplicable. You can't control it. It's something that happens to you when you work. Mm-hmm. Um, because you guys have uh, a dance background, I think you're probably more in touch with that than any than anyone else who does it. Um, because if you don't love to dance, and if you don't, if you aren't showing people how much you love to dance, why are you doing it? Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Right, and I think it's a little harder for actors to get behind that because they're, I don't, I don't know what it is. So well, I th- yeah, I think with like with dance, I mean, you have to like you're more aware of like you're using literally all of yourself, like your entire body, along with right. what you are bringing forward mm-hmm. to express something. Whereas I think sometimes with acting, it gets into the headspace of like, well, I'm beco- I'm becoming. We, we think of like becoming a character right, yeah. to tell a story, but we're we're always doing that. Right, with ourselves, with our experiences, with our passion and love for it. There's something you check at the door when you start to dance, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that, I think that, I I can't speak for every actor, I can only speak for this one in this Uh chair, and I think that for for a long time it was very, very, it it was difficult for me, uh, particularly in those early wild days, uh, to to check myself at the door, Mm -hmm. and and to to allow the work to work through me rather than my ego. so that's something that Wayne taught me, but I never in a million years dreamed that I could be an actor. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, uh, becoming a professional performer of any kind was something that was reserved for very, very special people. It is, mm-hmm. but I didn't consider myself one of those special people. I just, would, I just wasn't brought up in that mindset. Um, so, flash forward not to that time when Wayne stopped me in the street, but. <clears throat> to a time when I had just finished doing The Lion King out in Las Vegas, I came back to New York. And um, I hadn't spoken to Wayne in many, many years uh, because I had just lost touch after I started doing uh, Miss Saigon. And Wayne called me up out of the blue and he asked me if I want to come out and play the king in The King and I. And I was struggling with a lot of unhappiness in my own life up to that point. Um, yeah, I don't mind sharing with your listeners on the phone. You know, it's like there was substance abuse and you know, blah blah blah, and and and, and um, I felt like I was just getting my feet back on the ground, uh, emotionally and spiritually and professionally, and um, it's sort of ironic that the person who taught me about love in performance in the theater suddenly appears back in my life mm, and yeah, says, most, yeah. you're, you know, and without realizing it, essentially says, I think you're starting all over again. Why don't you start over with me? And I go out, do the king and I, you were fabulous as the king and I, as that dog, uh, yes, as one of the many dogs. two little white boys. <laughs> the king and I. If I was covered in black, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be <laughs> and and uh, uh, where we met, which is which, which yes. I absolutely love, mm-hmm. uh, and that was the second time it changed my life. Hmm. And um, I owe so much to Wayne. He came to see Sweeney Todd a few weeks ago, and we saw each other afterwards. And, and we both just burst into tears. And I think we did for that reason. Because um, as Wayne is with so many people in this business, we are connected as family. Mm-hmm. And um, an essential, fundamental part of each one of us is connected with him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like to think that there's a little bit of, uh, of Wayne Bryan in what I'm doing every night as Sweeney Todd. We all kind of carry all that with us at an, at any given point in time, but it's those it's those moments like that are really special, like those like cyclical moments 
where like Wayne taught you something when you were very young and then when you needed that again, it just popped into the universe. It's just kind of the way all that timing works, I think. Yeah. And I think that's very evident to us as yeah. artistic, sensitive yeah. people. We can kind of like yeah. see the romanticism. In and I think, yeah. yeah, and I think what's wonderful about those things that repeat, that, that, that sort of go cyclically in your life is that I think they repeat because when they happen at earlier points in your life, maybe you're not ready to learn those lessons. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not ready to recognize or embrace what you have to learn or what you have to do or changes that you... Um, that you're destined to make. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I mean, that's one of the things I love about this business so much. There are so many second chances. And for the most part, most of the people in this business will give you second chances. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can burn as many bridges as you want, but you know what? Most of the time they'll come back to you mm-hmm. and they'll say, if you're right for something mm-hmm. uh, or if they have an innate feeling about you, yeah. they'll mm-hmm. give you another chance. It's a very. I'm not saying misbehave. <laughs> I'm no, not saying be wild. Better if you don't. But but uh, uh, it's a, it, it's a very um, human business, as inhumane as it can be sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you see, you know, I think that's the crazy thing about this business. You see what you want to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the uh, just look at social media yesterday when all those nominations came out mm-hmm. and how just how thrilled and happy you know for everybody else everyone was and there mm-hmm. was this segment of the population that was still kind of kind of like bitter and nasty and talked about snubs and or or, yeah. or or people who didn't get nominated and who who suddenly found themselves in a position where they couldn't go to work because they weren't nominated you know it's like mm-hmm. you you see what you want to see yeah um it's um it's hard there's no general rule i think that i i, I think that what's most important for those of us who are on the outside is just to be compassionate Mm-hmm. And understanding, everybody's on their own, on their own path. Everybody's fighting their own battles. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we can't embrace that um, as actors, as performers, if we can't recognize that, then maybe we don't have any business telling stories. Mm-hmm. You know, because those are the stories. They yeah. don't. You know, look at any musical. Look at any any great play or any great musical. They're not about well-adjusted people. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Something that someone said I was in acting class once. They're like, if people were timid or nice, nothing would ever happen in a show. That's right. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny when you think to you, you go back to you think about your, some of your favorite, some of the favorite characters that you've seen in musicals. Like I love Laurie and Curly in Oklahoma. I just mm-hmm. think they're the most mm-hmm. awesome characters ever. They're really messed up. Boy, poor Laurie. Yeah, like Laurie's parents. She doesn't have any. So like that's like a. Yeah, but she's she, they sent her away, um, <laughs> probably because she was so, she's like, you know, she's trying so hard to get it right. She's trying mm-hmm. so hard to get it right, but she will not ask for help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go to the picnic with Judd. Yeah. That seems like a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Stupid. <laughs> but you know, how many of us have made those same decisions in our lives? That's the great thing about it. Yeah. You know? Talk about your, uh. You're, you're, you first moved to New York. What are the, what's like the beginning of that journey like for you? Wow. <laughs> uh, beginning of the journey was, I, I think it was easier for me because of when I moved to New York. I think it was easier to move. It certainly was easier to move to New York in the early 80s than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 uh, um, From the moment I 
stepped onto a Manhattan sidewalk. I knew I wanted to be here. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be a New Yorker. And that's the thing that I try to tell every young person who's moving to the city, mm -hmm. particularly to be in this business. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be an actor who lives in New York, or do you want to be a New Yorker who's an actor? Big difference. I wanted to be a New Yorker mm -hmm. who is an actor. Yeah. Because being a New Yorker meant that I was going to embrace all the things that make life really difficult here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those things included in the 80s, garbage strikes, newspaper strikes, <laughs> you know, um, you know, it was that cliche, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. a far cry from the New York of Saturday Night Fever, which has yeah. just come out a few years before. Um, it, it, it was, it was a tough city mm -hmm. in a weird way. It isn't as tough as it is now oh, yeah. because now it's, it's cleaned it up. Yeah. It's cleaned. Mm -hmm. It's patently unaffordable now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It's scary, but oh my God. Forty uh, Second Street, Forty Second Street in the eighties was in the early eighties was crazy. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. all electronic shops and porn stores mm -hmm. and abandoned theaters. Turn this off. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> and uh, um, I remember buying. Uh, I remember I needed. I, was it for an audition or was it just for myself? I don't remember what. I needed some sort of electronic device mm -hmm. from uh, a recording device from a store on 42nd Street. It was uh, it was a spring day. It was warm like this. Mm -hmm. um, but it was late in the day. And... Um, Sunset, rush hour, was not a safe time sure. to be in a neighborhood like that. And I remember buying it and waiting in the store, looking out the front door until I saw a cab drive by and let somebody off near the front of that building and then running into that cab oh, wow. with this big package under my arm. I was probably being paranoid. I was probably being naive. Yeah. Nothing was going to happen. You know, no one's going to grab something from me. At least that was my hope. <laughs> I, lived, I lived in an apartment on West 43rd between 8th and 9th. Which at that time was one of the most dangerous streets in America. Wow. Um, when I moved to New York, I got into, uh, I think I was, the, I was here for six months and I was cast in my first Broadway show, which was the, I was the first replacement in the original production of La Caja Full. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, I get to work with George Hearn, who I saw as yeah. Sweeney Todd uh -huh. in 1979 in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And um, the show was a long one. It got around 11, it got out around 10.30, 10.45. All curtain times were at 8 mm -hmm. o'clock back then. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I would go out for a drink. Sometimes I would just come straight home, whatever. After 10 o'clock, it was safer to walk down the middle of West 43rd than it was to walk on the sidewalks. Wow. Wow. So that's what it was like. That's what my neighborhood was like. That's what it's, it, and, and it was okay. I was living yeah. the dream, you know? I grew up in San Diego, but I was essentially a small town boy. Mm -hmm. um, when I was a, a kid, like a, a, a grade school student in San Diego, um, it was it was still a cow town. Mm -hmm. um, it exploded in the seventies um, when I was a teenager. But I think that in in my consciousness, I was still this kid from this small. I I might as well have been from. Um, from a farming town in the middle mm -hmm. of, in, in the Midwest somewhere. <laughs> um, and 
I had New York in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I had I had uh, bright lights, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. You know what's nice? I still do. I love it here. I love being a New Yorker. It's the yeah. best. Especially in days like these, it's like, ugh, walking down the street. Yeah. It's these, great, like, yeah. Like, the first spring day in New York is, like, the best. It really, really is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's like the inner, like, everything. Everyone's like, happy. Everyone's, like, excited <laughs> and happy, and, like, it's a good, it's an exciting you time. You know, I'm one of those... trash doesn't start smelling it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm one of those crazy old New Yorker guys too you know tradition is very important to me you know so i will not wear linen before the 31st of uh-huh. May. oh <laughs> or my white box or sandals or shorts <laughs> i think i i'm gonna change that this year oh okay it's just too nice yeah. outside just, i know today was the first day i put off the shorts caleb so. walked into my apartment and i was like uh-oh the shorts are out yeah. the shorts it gets to be 80 something today like yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And you know what? It's probably going to snow before probably, the end of probably. May. So I might as well. Yeah, you might as well. Okay, so you so you you booked Lacage. Right. How how soon after moving to the city? You said 6 months? Uh, I moved to the city in August of 83. I started performances in Lacage. I think it was February of 84. That is wow. very fast. I was very 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 lucky. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, Very fortunate. I'll cut this off if this is wrong, but we were like refreshing your IBDB <laughs> and it said something about like Chaplin, 1983, canceled, out of town. Canceled with a, with a Western Union telegram to my apartment on 57th and 10th. Okay, so I we have to talk about that. Yeah. Because Caleb and I are big fans of... What, what is now kind of known as Chaplin, the musical that made it to Broadway in, right. in uh, Terrific know, show. the mid to, uh-huh. in 2010 or so. the right concept and everything. Tell us about the 1983 canceled Chaplin. What was... It was directed by Michael Smeowen, who had won the Tony Award for directing and choreographing Sophisticated Ladies, and whose, I think, last Broadway credit was Shogun the Musical, or maybe... Winning the Tony Award for Anything Goes. Uh, the, the Lincoln Center one? The Lincoln Center yeah. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for choreographing. Uh, starred Anthony Newley. Oh my God, amazing. Written and uh, composed by Newley. Um, and it was a magnificent mess. <laughs> <laughs> it had all the problems that biographical musicals have. It, sure. it was done at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. In, oh my God, where I saw Sweeney Todd, um, uh, in in Los Angeles, um, it had a cast of I think thirty seven. Wow, including that included the swings. It, it was so problematic, it, for so many different reasons, um, that it lost its entire investment out there. Oof. Wow, and it was saved in quotes, uh-huh. <laughs> by a television producer, a very famous media uh, legend named David Susskind, okay. who wrote an agreement with, I believe it was James Niederlander, the lead producer uh, on this, on a cocktail napkin at a restaurant in the music center. We all packed up our stuff. 
the trucks went to New York. Everything was in storage. It was supposed to happen months later. Um, I was planning on moving to New York anyway. It mm-hmm. just happened to be that I was going to be moving to New York mm-hmm. with a Broadway show in my pocket. Yeah. They said, uh, you know, we, we got uh, um, we got phone calls and letters saying that, uh, you know, they were planning on starting rehearsals at such and such a place uh, at such and such a date. And then... Uh, I moved into a two-bedroom apartment on, like I said, 57th and 10th with four other people (laughs) and uh, three cats. And um, two weeks before we were supposed to start rehearsal, we got Western Union telegrams saying that rehearsals had been indefinitely postponed. Oh, no. Um... That somehow they couldn't come to an agreement, uh, they couldn't come to terms on the basis of what was written on the cocktail napkin. Um, <laughs> You're like my career is on this cocktail napkin. <laughs> I, you know, I, I thought about that, but again, it was a question of I didn't come here to do chaplain. Yeah, yeah, you sure. Know, I came yeah. here to move here. This was the vehicle to get by you. which I had yeah. moved. You know. Uh, uh, I forget how much later it was. It might have been eight weeks, 12 weeks later. There was a front page article in the Times with Tony Newley's picture. And Tony was just so great. I was going to say that is probably and he was crushed by that it was was okay (laughs) it was good good. I mean it was fantastic it was Newly you know if you love Newly it was fantastic but there was a picture of Newly as Chaplin and it was about the cocktail napkin the article on the front page of the Times and about the fact that this was scheduled to be the opening night of Chaplin the the day that article appeared and this is why it's not opening and um, drama and you might be able to find that online. You might be able to find that article uh, online. But it was, uh, it, it was, it became sort of a uh, an industry joke about uh, you know writing an agreement on a cocktail napkin. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand. It turned out that David Susskind just didn't have that kind of money anyway. Mm-hmm. And in those days, interestingly enough, there were a number of people who saw the show in L.A. who wanted to invest in the show for let's say a ballpark figure, Mm $200,000. In those days, producers weren't interested in talking to people who would just show up and say, I have $200,000. They wanted to talk to people who said, I have a million dollars to put into your show. Yeah. Nowadays, you've got, you know, people like Ken Davenport who who, who will say, if you have $100, you can invest in Yeah, the producer title is like, is, you know, 30, 40 people long sometimes. Right. It's a different thing. I think in many ways, it's a better thing. Oh, yeah. Um, It was a sad situation Mm -hmm. for all of us. Um, I think I believed at some point I would get a telegram saying, we're starting a first... I think I believed for like three years. We're going to go back to it. As far as the show itself went, it had all the problems that biographical musicals have. Yeah. It didn't really have a point of view. Um, it had a good starting point and a good ending point, And mm-hmm. that was about um, Chaplin reconciling with his childhood self. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is sort of what the the show came to be, like a, a little bit. Yeah. I think most basic biographies of Chaplin yeah. are, are basically about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had a Dickensian childhood, mm-hmm. and um, and it was about what was the, what was the most wonderful thing about it? It was about this orange, this orange that was a Christmas present what, that he didn't get when he was a little boy, mm-hmm. and he gets it at the end of the show, oh. and and it was a lovely it was a lovely concept, but. 
you know, there was uh, Newly was uh, uh, for the for the previous twenty years, maybe fifteen years, had strictly been a, a nightclub performer mm-hmm. uh, and a sometime movie actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I I think that in many ways he tried to blend the two with the show. So sure. there were moments when it was a nightclub act. Particularly the eleven o'clock number, which which he sang as he's as Chaplin is being, for all intents and purposes, exiled from America, mm-hmm. uh, which he sings to a torch song, which he sings to, the Statue of Liberty. It, so it was it was half nightclub act, mm-hmm. half show. It never knew what it wanted to be at any particular point. There was a concept where one actress was playing all of Chaplin's not only wives yeah. but mistresses. A concept that was never fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And because at that time uh, the Little Tramp was uh, owned by the Little Tramp image was mm-hmm. owned by IBM, we couldn't use any anything alluding to the Little Tramp. Oh well, wow, that's a that's a major part. That's a big yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, so we had to focus. So, so, but interesting. It was a great challenge because mm-hmm. you didn't have to focus on his performance. Sure, sure. You focused on the man. You focused yeah. on kinda what like, was essentially yeah. a really, really interesting life. Kind of like Here Lies Love, not talking about her shoes. Right, <laughs> right. But, you know. but, but I think that in a way, uh, Tony wasn't the writer mm-hmm. to get into that. Um, and um, we were never able to overcome those shortcomings. He was a generous man. He, he loved everybody. He loved being on stage. Um, I think all of us knew the show was in trouble, but all of us loved showing up to work yeah. Yeah. every day. He, he continued to try to rework it over the years. They did it down at Theater Under the Stars in Houston. Interesting. Um, I had no But idea. It, it never went anywhere. And, uh, and in the end, um, years later, Tony uh, became ill, and he ultimately succumbed to mm-hmm. cancer. Um, he was a great guy. <laughs> great guy. Have you seen... A true You've legend. seen the movie yeah. of Dr. Doolittle, oh, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, his performance in that, it's, his, his performance as an actor is, is really quite wonderful. But that one song, After Today, mm-hmm. is so incredible. I introduced a young... Uh, He's amazing. Yeah, I, the, the, I worked with this young uh, actor recently, uh, Zeke Edmonds, who's just starting out. And I said, have you ever heard that song? I found the video on uh, YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's newly in the movie. And as the song approached its climax, Zeke and I were going like, Zeke and I were, Zeke was asking, I should say, <laughs> is he going to go for that last note? That note way up there at the very end? And he does, and you don't know yeah. where it comes from. He's really, spe- his voice is is, uh, is one of those like bizarre, kind of like beautiful, just kind of one of a kind yeah. voices. Um, Completely untrained, by the way. Mm. Yeah. But the, uh, it's so amazing. He, yeah. His voice is yeah. It's always been a big uh, inspiration. I will give a little word of advice to any uh, any actors out there working on uh, East End dialects from London, uh, particularly in musicals. If you want to learn how to sing in a Cockney accent, listen to Newley. There you go. That's Imi- it. Imitate Newley because that's you'll pick it up yeah. because that's what he's doing. If you're doing that's My Fair Lady, Eliza's. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, that one's completely made up. <laughs> All right. Well, one last question before we move to to some silly stuff. Um, it's really important right now that we have 
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Um, all kinds of representation in in the arts, and uh, you're, you're living that right now as, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, an Asian-American man starring in Sweeney Todd. Um, can you talk about uh, the importance of that or your and your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I... I First of all, it's an amazing, amazing year. I, I uh, in in so many different ways, I, I had the great, very humbling blessing of being nominated for Lucia Lortel. Yes, for your performance in Pacific, Pacific Overtures. Overtures. And but it's not just me; it's my my castmate Stephen Eng. Uh, the you know, I, I think the entire cast of K-pop got nominated. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, the entire cast of uh, of um, what the African Mean Girls play. I forget the title of it. Oh. Uh, the school girls school girls yeah you know it, it, it's like it's such an incredibly diverse year uh, or a year for diversity mm-hmm. uh, on stage um, and not just play, you know and it's not just about playing roles that are specific to our own uh, cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. it's about being present on stage it's about saying look we are here we're not going away mm-hmm. we're not going to do anything and that's that's something that's very very important I've, I've been fighting this battle uh, and others of my age have been fighting this battle for decades mm-hmm. um, and it, it's uh, at times it, we felt a lot more isolated at times it was harder because people's consciousness uh, and I'm talking about the people who are doing the hiring mm-hmm. or the creating um, just weren't geared in that way and so I think in many ways uh, it's a huge victory for us to be so visible this year. Mm-hmm. The battle's not over. I'm not comfortable saying that uh, that there won't be any more struggles or any more controversies surrounding diversity on stage. Uh, but for right now, it's nice to sit back, take a breather, and be able to say, not just to the industry, but the landscape at large, that we are here, mm-hmm. and we're here to stay, and we're not here because of any favors you're doing us. Yeah, we're here because we deserve to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. and for some of these things, particularly, I look, uh, you know, K-pop is just a most perfect example. Yeah, um, uh, if if you're not going to tell stories that we can work in, mm-hmm. then we're going to create our own stories, mm-hmm. and they're going to be good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're going to want to tell these stories. Yeah. So, uh, of course, I'm very proud, but mm-hmm. I'm really, really humbled by the whole thing. Yeah. Um, the, the people that are up there, and look at Ashley Park. This yeah, is like Ashley's uh-huh. year. This is a huge year for her, yeah. yeah. MTW alum. I know, uh-huh. and, and well-deserved. I mean, yes. she was, we, we were just talking about this earlier, actually, how, you know, how phenomenal she was in King and I, and um, how, how, you know, she's getting so much recognition for her performance in K-pop, and she's so great in Mean Girls, and it's just like, a, it's an exciting... Um, it's an exciting time to also see, like, you know, to see actors getting recognition for, for their hard work, yeah. for 
you know, telling all telling like different stories too. You know, right, it's, right. Well, that's a, that, you know, that's telling the other it. Thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't seen Mean Girls, but I mm-hmm. understand she's just fantastic. You know, in my own career, I have to say that a good half of it has been playing not ethnic specific roles. Mm-hmm. I've been very, very fortunate. Um, you know, Thomas Andrews in Titanic, Leo Tolstoy in Discord, yeah. uh, Solicitor. Two in the, a Christmas Carol, yeah. MacArthur last year. Hannity and um, yeah. uh, Carl Hannity, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, Wayne has always been a champion of mm-hmm. diversity in mm-hmm. casting. Yeah, um, he's he's had more foresight than than most people mm-hmm. uh, who've been who've been uh, producing shows for as long as he's been. Um, but I've also been really lucky insofar as I've gravitated. I've been able to gravitate towards theaters that had artistic directors who have shown that kind of vision. And I think that that's the thing you have to speak to sometimes when you're talking about diversity in casting. You have to accept the fact that most people who create shows, produce shows, direct shows, sometimes write them, um, have to go that go those extra few steps in their consciousness in order to say, "Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had an Asian American Juliet?" Mm-hmm. in Romeo and Juliet. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be awesome? Why is that an extra two or three steps? Because justifiably, they have to deal with so much stuff already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the real visionaries will make the effort to do that. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people who just simply out of laziness, mm-hmm. sometimes out of tradition, um, sometimes out of their own inherent belief that the theater should be a certain way will not exercise any diversity mm-hmm. at all. They're always going to be there. Yeah. Um, you can't mandate diversity. Uh, you can vote, if you will, with your pocketbook and simply not see a show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's the best way to get things to change. But for the most part, you just got to continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. You've got to unite. You've got to. You've got to. Uh, we have to make our arguments known, mm-hmm. and we have to make our presence known. Like I said, this is a really great time for us to sit back and bask in this recognition. But mm-hmm. I hope we, as a community of Asian American performers and as individuals, will use this uh, and not let the momentum flag in any way at all. Mm-hmm. But boy, what a year, huh? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. All right. Now for some stupid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have to admit, because I saw the dress rehearsal of Sweeney Todd, I was unable to purchase the merchandise <laughs> that was specifically for your production. So there are very there are very lovely shirts there. <laughs> there are. I did like them. There's a Not While I'm Around shirt. There's a plain logo shirt. Um... So I did a little finagling. So this is the Tom Sesma edition of <laughs> Merch Madness. <laughs> With an asterisk of its kind oh of... Oh my goodness. Okay. Oh my goodness. So, so this is not the production that you were in, but I have a shirt from the... Oh God, what year was this? I want to say like 2005. And who directed that production? John Doyle. That's right. Mm-hmm. And who who directed the show that I was nominated for? John Doyle. There you go. So did I win the game? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, you yeah. can't have the shirt. Um, this is a uh, this is a shirt from the uh, 
the revival of Sweeney Todd that John Dolan directed with Michael Cerveris and um, Patty Pone. Trivia, trivia time. Michael Cerveris played Sweeney Todd. I'm playing Sweeney Todd. Yes. Michael Cerveris played Thomas Andrews in Titanic. I played Thomas <gasps> Andrews in Titanic. Uh-huh. As a matter of fact, I wore his shoes on the tour. Oh, really? Yes. Now, Thomas Hesmo, <laughs> when are you going to do Fun Home? When somebody asks. Producers. <laughs> Remember that thing about diversity and casting? <laughs> Producers. All right. So this is a, um, it's a black shirt. It is quite faded because I've had the shirt a while and I've worn it a lot. Uh, it has the, the razor blade silver logo uh, with blood splattered all over it and Sweeney's torture eyes looking back at him in the blade. This is just the logo for the show. Um, I love the shirt. Had it a long time. Worn it a lot. Yeah. This is a classic. I've had this since high school. Um, yeah. It's a good one. And I like the the blue wood behind the yeah. silver. Yeah, that's sick design. Like, yeah, it's very eerie colors. The second shirt I have is from dun 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 dun. <laughs> the most recent revival. Well, I guess the only revival. I guess of of uh, Miss Saigon. <laughs> you start in the national tour of. Wait, that's from the revival. Yes. That's the original logo. It's the same logo. They it's use the same. same well, they use the same logo, but this shirt was purchased at the revival. Did they have the same this same shirt? I don't remember it ever being a white t-shirt. Yeah. So this is a this is a white t-shirt uh, with the the like brushed logo. The iconic like image of the helicopter with it's like with hey a, white people look that looks like face. Asian writing, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a helicopter. <laughs> and then you have a you know a a tortured face in the back of the helicopter. It's like a double thing, and then you have the Miss Saigon logo on the sleeve, right, with a little rising sun mm-hmm. or yes. the setting sun or the, uh-huh. moon, the moon or whatever, or whatever, whatever it, it is, is. Yeah. for the dot of the eye. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, this is a this is a good shirt. It's white. I don't, I don't wear a lot of just like plain white shirts, but I did like the fact that it was just kind of the iconic I image. And um, I actually love that logo. I love it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love um, that whole show. There's a whole um, demo- documentary about like um, imagery of yeah. the 80s, like paparettas and like that, of like Les Mis and this. Yeah. That's how it's just like. Pfft. You know, I got to tell you, nobody, did, nobody, nobody did it better than Cameron yeah. in the 80s. Oh it yeah, just... the the branding that he did is like is so iconic. Yeah. I mean, here it is, yeah. you know, and and I'll wear the shirt, and everyone knows what it. Everyone knows you know what funny? it is. It's funny, and 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 you guys out there in in podcast land, and and both of you guys, go back and look at some of the uh, some of the theater art, the poster art, for shows in the forties and fifties, the thirties, forties, fifties. Some of the stuff, like like uh, the original poster for the Music Man, literally oh, like, looks like somebody just like in, in their spare time on a Saturday sketched out this yeah. drawing yeah. and said, "Okay, we'll use this." Yeah. Or the original guys and dolls. Or I love the original Oklahoma, where they're all kind of like at the the basket, so yeah. they're all kind of like dancing. It's all, they're all caricatures. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. At least at least an argument could be made for the Oklahoma thing mm-hmm. it, that it looks like uh, American craft art. Sure. Yeah. Right. That works a little bit, uh-huh. but oh my God, it's it's really, um, it's amazing how sophisticated 
uh, poster artist now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that has to do with Cameron. Yeah. That, you know, oh, absolutely. A... That's what. That's what. Um, I think that's what kind of started like that whole the whole thing of you have to have the, like the iconic image. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's we wouldn't have the whispering witches now right became this like iconic thing that you see it and you know exactly what it is right it's, and it's really important right now you know it's important to sell a show i mean it's a business after all yep. and he is the the businessman these are great shirts but i do have to say the winner of this week's merch madness is my sweeney todd shirt yeah yes I just like loved wearing this. I thought it was like so cool and edgy in high school because I had it, <laughs> and um, I've had a long time. And of course, I love me some Sweeney. It is the winner of this week's Merch Madness. <laughs> yes, onward. It's well, game time. you can come back uh, to Barrow Street and oh, get no. an official. I know. Current. I know. Living. Recent. T-shirt. Breathing. Yeah, I know. At least I've seen you in it. We just talked about that. I'm gonna. I'm coming soon. <laughs> I, gotta, I had to do today ticks and tweet about it so no one looks at the tweet and then like post on Facebook and so you get the extra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you have a puppy, right? A little dog. Yes, Willie the Westie. Oh, okay. So does Willie know any tricks? Willie knows a few tricks. Yes. Give us a few. Uh, if you point your finger at him like you've got a gun and you mm-hmm. say stick him up. He will stick him up. That's oh. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's his money trick. Um, he rolls over, but only in one direction. Um, though I believe he can roll over in the other direction. He it's just, just a chooses side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he'll go, he'll go down. He'll, he'll hunker down. Crash, down. Yeah. Right. But most of the time... Um, you don't need him to do tricks because he looks like a trick. He looks like, yeah, he looks like a toy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, what's your pre-show ritual? I show up about 90 minutes before the show begins. I, I, I have my own uh, warm-up that's sort of rooted in, in character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's so funny. Warming up for Sweeney is a little bit redundant because Sondheim was such a genius, and I don't know if he did this by design or if... This was just the genius flowing out of him naturally. The whole thing is constructed like um, for a person to do this eight times a week. Hmm. It begins with a warm-up. It's called A Barber and His Wife, Mm -hmm. which is all the way down here. Mm -hmm. It moves up gradually. It peaks at epiphany. It settles into um, Little Priest. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is just like a release. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The hardest thing to sing in the show is Joanna 2, um, which just has to be sustained on a middle level. It can't be overacted or overarticulated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it moves back down. And you have a cool down at the end of the show hmm. with the reprise of Barbara and his wife. That's the vocal warm up. And it's also because I'm a physical warm-up that I have to do, um, which is just your basic stretching, you know, actor stretching thing. Yeah. And um, again, it's it's rooted in what the character does uh, or what the character could do. And uh, that's my oh that and uh, my my incessant cups of tea, which begin when I get to the theater, and steaming 
with mm -hmm. my pure mist. Yes. Okay, yes. Uh -huh. Sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I need a I need a clock. Can you be my clock? Um. Uh. Yes. Wait, wait. I got one. Okay. So, keep put ten seconds up. Do, 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 do. Ten seconds. That's yeah. no time at That's all. A lot. I know. All right. Really likes to make it really fast. Okay. Ready. Ready. Name as many pies in ten seconds. Go. Uh, blueberry, jumbleberry, key lime, shaker lemon, apple, uh, apple walnut, peach. Balsamic strawberry. <laughs> you put on for ten minutes. <laughs> oh no! Did I? But I, I was watching. But I mean, oh, balsamic is strawberry. Yum. What is jumbleberry? Jumbleberry is a combination of like five different berries. Okay. And that's 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 what the recipe is called. Uh, it's raspberry, blackberry, strawberry, blueberry. If you can get it, gooseberry. Ooh. And there's one more. Blackberry, raspberry, strawberry, blueberry, gooseberry. No, that's five, right? That yeah. is five. That's yeah. it. Oh. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. All right. Um, your summer must-reads. What books are you reading this summer? I'm reading a book called The New Spaniards. Penny and I went to Spain. We walked the Camino de Santiago in fall of 2016. Mm -hmm. And uh, we fell in love with Spain. And uh, so I'm reading this wonderful, uh, sort of a, you might call it a contemporary history, which is an oxymoron. Of of uh, of Spain, so I'm reading that right now. Um, uh, there's a book called A Simple Life. I don't remember the author, but mm -hmm. that's on my reading list. Um, I have a neighbor who is an award-winning translator named Susan Bernowski, and she translates uh, German books or has translated some German books. I have two of those books on my reading list. And an autobiography of Oscar Romero. Or not an autobiography, but a biography of Oscar Romero. Oh, good reads. You had, a, you had a full summer of reading. I know. Yeah, I want to tell you. Uh, Billy Harrigan Ty has read, who plays um, Anthony, mm -hmm. has read since the time we started, and we're going into, we're in our 10th week now of performances. I think he's read eight books. Wow. Already. Wow. So. I just do not read like that. I'm a quick reader, but I can't read a book a week. Like I could. I used to be able to read, um, even when I was doing um, doing supporting roles in plays. I used to be able to read at the theater. Yeah. And I can't anymore. Now that I'm mm -hmm. older, I just I, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm older and I just can't focus on as many things <laughs> as I used to, or if I'm just terrified of getting out of the play. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you guys missed cues, entrances, things like that? Once before. What? Tell us about it. Oh no, uh -huh. this is a hard one. <laughs> no, I was doing Guys and Dolls, uh -huh. and um, uh, the, the, I was playing Benny, so the person I was playing nicely with um, was uh, very worried that they had lost their um, their phone. So I was helping them look for their phone. We had to have a we were supposed to have a moment where we pop on and tell Nathan to come on or whatever, and uh, we. We did not do that because <gasps> um, we were looking for. At what wow. point did you realize? I can't remember if it had. It was. It was like about to happen. I heard it and thing, and I tried to run, and they just moved on. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Luckily, it wasn't like a full disaster. It wasn't yeah. like I didn't have to deliver a plot point. Yeah. You know, okay. I just had to tell him to hurry up. I can't think of anything like devastating, like really missing a cue. That was bad. I didn't no. like. Not come to like. Directly to mind. Right. Except, wait, this one goes back to high school, which is 
Silly. That counts. I know. Because the humiliation stays Exactly. With you. It's worse. <laughs> this may be like an almost miss. But um, I just got my driver, like my temporary license maybe. Mm-hmm. And I was running late to rehearsal. And my dad dropped me off because he was like, you're kind of nervous because you just got your license. I'll still mm-hmm. drive you to rehearsal. And I made the entrance right because we were rehearsing some dance. And so I like literally like ran from the truck through the door and like right on stage. Yeah. So it was like perfect timing. So wow. not miss, but perfect timing. I, I, I've had two experiences that I can recall. Um, one was because I, I was doing Victor Victoria and I had a costume change and it was a quick change and I remember running up to my dresser who was waiting for me backstage and she was saying, no, not yet. And I was saying, yes, yes, it's now, it's now, it's now. Um, and so I just started stripping off all my clothes mm-hmm. And I was there in my in my tidy whities, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, waiting to get into my into, into this other costume. And then all of a sudden, someone's calling me saying, "Tom, you're supposed to be on stage right now." It was the short little scene that preceded the quick change. Oh. And so then there was some confusion about: Is the play going to progress? Are we going to wait for Tom to get back into his? Uh-huh. Should he just make the change? You know, stage management was confused. I don't remember what the disaster how it, how it ended <laughs> up, but that was one. And the other was. When I was on tour with Titanic, mm-hmm. uh, I was watching a scene happen on stage. And it was between Ismay and the captain and somebody else. I was just in the wings watching it, thinking, this is really good. Bill Perry was the captain. Bill Humans mm-hmm. was, was Ismay. And the next thing I know, Bill is standing at the edge of the stage, and he's staring at me. <laughs> and he's going... And I hear stage management say, Tom, you're supposed to be on stage right now. Because mm-hmm. I was supposed to enter that yeah, scene, yeah. but I was completely locked into like, the fact that wow, like, oh, these guys are so good. <laughs> I gotta see this play. Yeah, yeah. those were, those were t- my two memories. It does happen. It does happen, but it never happens again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so you were in Lacage, but you didn't do drag, right? But do you have any drag tips? I have one scene where I was in drag in the bird right. number, in what was called the bird number, the title song. Do I have any drag tips? Uh, oh gosh, I should, I should, but I don't. Oh my god, it was it was so eighties. It was so <laughs> it was so drag more makeup. 80s. <laughs> you know, one thing I do remember is that we weren't trying to we weren't trying to look like women. We were trying to look like drag queens. Mm-hmm. I guess. Boy, that was good. That was a really really terrific production to be a part of. Oh yeah. Uh, it was a great introduction to to being on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I do have a whole bunch of pictures of me. Uh, <laughs> I also understudied the maid. You know, I understood Jacob. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, back then, in the, in the in that original production, I think they still hadn't they, they, they still hadn't figured out how to make that role work. I don't think anyone really figured it out until Robin de Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because he's a genius. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when I went on as the maid, I was like a geisha. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, which still didn't work. But it was it was at least the makeup tips were were pretty were awesome but they were very very specific to being Asian so no drag tips (laughs) (laughs) maybe kabuki tips (laughs) alright so did you ever have a New York survival job yes Um, I was a bartender for I would say four months um, in the late 80s and then in 2007 2008 I was um, 
you know, it's going through a difficult time in my life, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this anymore. I was working, but I wasn't having a good time. I wasn't. I didn't like the things that I was auditioning for. I was. I was going through a passage where I wasn't. Uh, I was. It was finally catching up to me that I wasn't a young leading man anymore. Everyone else had known this for twenty years, <laughs> but um, and I did. But I didn't know what I was. Yeah. And so uh, I took a hiatus from the business and I got a job uh, as the oldest, uh, a temporary part-time job as the oldest fax copy boy on Wall Street. I worked for an organization, uh, a not-for-profit corporation called Trinity Finance. Um, Multi-billion dollar uh, real estate um, corporation. And uh, within a couple of days of being there, it was 2008, 2009, uh, a couple days of being there, they offered me a full-time permanent position as the personal executive assistant to the CFO. Why wow. me? I don't know. But it happens to stage managers and, and people who, a lot of actors who take mm -hmm. part-time uh, management jobs yeah. or administrative jobs mm -hmm. because we show up to work in our costume, mm -hmm. our oh, yeah. tie and our nice pants, and we perform. Yeah. Our job because we know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're not like professionals. We don't hate this, uh -huh. and we're grateful for the money that we're making. Yeah. And they, and I found out that I had all of these skills that were simply based on things that we'd learn as actors, which mm -hmm. are people pleasing skills. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anticipating problems. You know, this job entailed things like um, setting up meetings, setting up. Um, Physically setting up a conference, okay. which meant finding out if Miss Mr. X and Ms. X or Ms. Y mm -hmm. um, like their coffee black or with milk and sugar, mm -hmm. and having it there when they get there. Yeah. Why did this occur to me? Because I saw it in some movie. Yeah. Once. Sure. Why did it never occur to anyone else up to that point who would work for them? because they didn't see the same movie, I guess. And so I would do things like that, and all of a sudden they were saying, oh my God, Tom has raised the standard for professionalism. Mm -hmm. I didn't raise any standard. I just saw this movie, and I thought, yeah. this is what you do. Yeah. And so um, uh, I got this job offer, and I realized if I said yes to this, it was going to change everything for me. That really meant that this hiatus was actually going to be a, be a hiatus. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, can I have 48 hours to think about it? And they said yes. The next day, the crash hit. Wow. The company instituted an immediate hiring freeze. And they said they would hold that position, and when this freeze was lifted, it would still be available to me if I wanted it, but would I stay on as a uh, full-time temporary employee, which meant I got this very, very nice hourly wage, which was the equivalent of having a salary. Yeah. I just didn't have benefits. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed there for months and months and months and months and months. And the thing that brought me back to it was I, I continued to go to auditions on my lunch hour mm -hmm. every now and then if they were things that I mm -hmm. really wanted to do. And so I went to what was going to be my very last audition ever. Wow. And that was for The Lion King, the, the Las Vegas production of The Lion King, Disney's Lion King. Um, I auditioned for it. I thought I had a great audition. I went to a callback. I thought I had a great callback. Didn't hear anything until months later. And they called up and they said, uh, we want you to do Scar. Mm -hmm. And so 
just when I thought I was out, they pulled me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, where do you? Where's your barber at? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, my great correct. My great, great question. My barber is uh, in the barbershop shop next to McDonald's between on Broadway between a hundred and. Third and a hundred. Yeah, maybe McDonald's on one of the Juanito's yeah. Barbershop. Uh-huh. That's in a pinch. Yeah. My regular barber, um, I believe, is retiring. Oh, no. Um, and he was down at Mayfair Barbershop uh, on 39th and 8th. Hmm. They're all uh, Russian Jewish immigrants. Yeah. And he's just been doing it a long time. Mayfair just lost their lease. He moved to another place and he's thinking of not doing it anymore. No. So Juanitos may be my default. Hmm. Um, any summer away, summer getaway trips? Um, if the timing works out for me and Penny, we're going to go back to Spain. We're going to walk another Camino. Oh wow! Yeah, um, but that timing would have to work out because that's a seven-week commitment. So yeah, um, but we'll see. Yeah. Lastly, um, I can't believe this is my job moment. Any time in your career? Almost every night. Almost every night at Bear Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been blessed with such great fortune in the last year because uh, in the last... Oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, like the last three years. Two years. Um, I have looked forward to going to work every day because I'm finally at a point in my life and my career where... Remember I said earlier, all I wanted to be was a worker among workers? Mm -hmm. I finally figured out that that's all that really matters to me. That it's not about being the star. It's not about, you know, yeah, I get to play Sweeney, but it's not about being the center of attention. It's about channeling the story through. Mm -hmm. That's my obligation. It makes it harder sometimes, but but it makes it more of a joy to do. But somehow, for some crazy reason, uh... I could say that everything I've done in the last two years has been part of one play, one production that has, in, in which I've taken part and have been surrounded by the greatest people in the world. I can't believe this is what I get to do for a living. I can't believe that uh, maybe, maybe I was supposed to go through all of these hard personal times. Not maybe, but yes, I was supposed to go to all Mm -hmm. these hard personal times in order to get to this point. Because at any point earlier, prior to this, because of those, those, uh, those calvaries that that I was on, um, I could have said no, enough. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't. It's what I tell everybody, it's what I tell young people all the time, perseverance, just don't give up. Yeah. Just don't give up, and realize that you're just one part of a greater thing, uh, and that's it. Like this, I'm just one part of this. Yeah, this wonderful well, thing. we are so glad that you were a part of this. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank Tom. you. Yeah, I am so flattered. I love you both, and it's so nice to to see you and catch up with you. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, people can, of course, um, if if you if you're lucky enough to snag a ticket, you can go see Tom in Sweeney Todd. At Barrel Street Theater. Mm-hmm. Tom, if people want to follow your adventures, where can they find you on social media? They can find me on Instagram. Uh, I'm at TH Sesma. And they can find me on Twitter. And I believe I'm 
TH Sesma NYC on Twitter. Okay. And please, please do follow me. Yes. I'm very. I, I have to say that the, that I've been getting a lot of compliments on my, on I d- my I love Insta compliments. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. You know, I'm just doing. Trying You've to, got the eye for it. I'm just doing what the kids do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> You can find our show on Instagram and Facebook at Equity One Podcast. It's awesome! I love <laughs> listening to it. It is, and you can follow us on Twitter too at Equity One underscore. And uh, please take a moment uh, to subscribe on iTunes. If you are subscribed, uh, leave us a nice rating and review. It helps other people find the podcast. It gives us a little boost. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's it. Caleb, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Caleb Dickey and. I'm here all summer, y'all. Let's have some fun. <laughs> you can find me at Elliot Maddox on everything. And until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers. What is that? It's Fop. Finest in the shop. And we have some shepherds pie peppered with actual shepherd on top. And I've just begun. Is a politician so oily? It's served with a doily of one. Put it on a bun. Well, you never know if it's going to run. Try the fryer, fry the dryer. No, the clergy is really too coarse and too mealy. The actor that's compactor. Yes, and always arrives overdone. I'll come again when you have judge on the menu. Have charity towards the world, my pet. Yes, yes, I know. Take the customers that we can get High born and low We'll not discriminate great from small No, we'll serve anyone Meaning anyone And to anyone At all Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.